I'm going to open this morning uh, with a story. Um, this is a story that doesn't start so well, but it does end well. Uh, on the 5th of January 1997, a yachtsman named Tony Bullimore was competing in a round-the-world yacht race when he got into some serious difficulties. Uh, he got caught up in a horrendous storm around about 900 miles off the coast of Antarctica. Uh, he was sailing alone, and he was in this race, and this storm blew up. Now, the Southern Ocean down there is notorious for being very difficult to navigate, a uh, very dangerous place, a very dangerous part of the world. And his yacht lost its keel um, in the very high winds and the mountainous waves. The keel is that kind of long fin that sits underneath a boat, and it snapped off because of the terrible weather. Uh, what, it happened, what then happened was that the boat flipped over, and it left him with like a kind of pocket of air up inside the, the kind of the hold of the boat. And uh, he, that was all he had. And uh, he, he rigged up a hammock in there in that little space. Uh, he got into his dry suit uh, and he tried his best to keep warm uh, and to keep his hopes up. Now, because of all the damage caused by the storm to his boat and the loss of his supplies, he only had two days of fresh water left. The rest had been swept uh, out to sea. And he had a single bar of chocolate left. Not a great place to be. Now, uh, he then basically spent uh, the next three days entombed in his own upturned yacht in the middle of the vast icy ocean that is the Southern Ocean. Now, Antarctica was 900 miles that way, and Australia was 1,400 miles this way. And over those three days, he slowly came to terms with the very real possibility that he was going to die all alone, cut off from everyone and everything. Now, there's a twist to the story. It doesn't end badly. Amazingly, an Australian Air Force search and rescue plane happened to spot his upturned boat. And of course, they then radioed to the Australian Navy to come and pick him up. And they arrived in just the nick of time, kind of getting into the fourth day, early in the morning on the fourth day. And just as his oxygen supply was beginning to get dangerous, dangerously low in this upturned part of the boat where he was kind of keeping himself alive. So the Navy arrive alongside and they dispatched a diver over the side and they swim over to his uh, boat. And, and basically the diver kind of went and they banged hard on the side of the boat and when Bullimore, Tony Bullimore, heard the noise, heard the noise of the banging, he was, as you can imagine, absolutely ecstatic. He was really, really pleased. He said this, I started shouting, I'm coming, I'm coming. And it took a few seconds for him to get to the other end of the boat. And then he took a few deep, deep breaths and he dived right down, 15 seconds under the water, up he comes. And uh, he sees the ship standing by, the, the Australian Navy ship. And there's the plane going overhead. And there's a couple of guys peering over the top of the hull. Um, and it's, it's, he said it was heaven, absolute heaven, uh, to be brought out alive. He said, I, I never really thought I would make it. I started looking back over my life, and I started thinking, well, I've, I've had a good life. I've done most of the things I wanted to do. Uh, wanted to do. He was a businessman. He'd made his millions. He'd had a family. He'd, he'd entered this competition. He was, he was achieving all the things he wanted to do, but he thought it was going to come to an end. And he said, if I, was picking, if I were picking the words to try and describe uh, my situation and my rescue, it would be that it would be a miracle. It was like a miracle. 
It is always so heartwarming when we hear a story like this, isn't it, church? Just a great rescue. Uh, It seems to have been that he was snatched from a certain disaster and then rescued and brought back to life. And really, the size of the ocean down there, it really was a miracle. There are thousands and thousands of square miles of ocean down there, but they managed to find him even amidst all the storm that continued to rage. Tony Bullimore had been put in a really dangerous predicament. He was isolated, he was going to be cut off, and he was about to die cut off from everyone and everything. But he got saved after a magnificent rescue effort and went on to be reunited with his family and his friends. Today is Easter Sunday, and it's the day in the Christian calendar in which we celebrate a colossal work of rescue, church. It's not the rescue of a single person from a capsized yacht on a race around the world, but it's the daring rescue of millions of souls by the Lord God himself. That is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. The great news of Easter Sunday is that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, the kingdom of God is nearby, and in the person of the risen Jesus, and that that Jesus Jesus offers us a personal spiritual rescue to anyone who chooses to reach out and receive it, and to take hold of it. Now this morning I want to take you to one of the oldest parts of the New Testament. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles and on your devices to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1. Uh, and for those of you who have the Bible app, the Version Bible app, uh, you can click, uh, go into that, and if you go to events, you'll see that Birmingham City Church is live, and you can click on that event, and you can see the notes and the, the verse references and the illustrations that uh, we've provided for you today. Uh, so do join us in that as well. You can add your own notes too. The first letter to the Corinthians is written by a man called Paul, and he was a very fervent follower of Jesus. And he's writing to a church that he started in a Greek city called Corinth. Now in his letter, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian Christians to remember that the most important aspect of their connection is the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. He's saying this is the most important thing that you must receive. And I want to say that to us all this morning. I don't know where you're at with your faith or your journey or perhaps you're a guest today. And if you're a guest, that's just awesome that you've come But I've got a very important message for you today, that that message is that Jesus died, he was buried, and then on the third day, God raised him up with resurrection power, and that he is alive now. That is the central truth of the Christian faith. Let's pick it up, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 1. I'm just going to read you four verses this morning. Now, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So what you have to understand is that Paul is a church planter, he's a founder, and he's writing to his church in Corinth, and he's saying, listen, these are the basics. This is what you have to understand is the core of the Christian faith, that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, but that he was raised again on the third day. And that is what we believe as Christians. That is central to our faith. If you take that away, you haven't got the Christian faith anymore. 
You have a historical story uh, uh, and so on. So that's, that is absolutely core. I want you to receive that in your hearts and minds as very, very core. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to split my message today into three parts and I'm going to just label them very simply, the what, um, the how and the who. The what's the how and the who. Now for the what, we're going to understand what the gospel is because we hear that word sometimes, don't we, gospel? And it's like, well, what does that mean? Let me explain what the gospel is. The how is going to be um, looking at how the gospel is spread. And I'm going to switch away from the world of yachting, and I'm going to jump across to the world of athletics and give you an illustration from uh, athletics. And then we're going to end up with the who. Who is the gospel meant for? Who is it intended to be received by? The what, the how, and the who. We're going to go through those briefly now. So, Let's open with the what. Paul opens with this particular phrase. He says this, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, so that's his church in Corinth, and to us we can hear and listen in, the gospel I preach to you. The gospel. So what exactly is the gospel that Paul wants to make clear? We often hear the word gospel in our culture, don't we? We sometimes hear uh, somebody say, uh, well, I took it as gospel. And what they're saying is, well, I took that as reliable and as true. Um, sometimes our culture refers to gospel truth. You sometimes see that in the tabloids, don't you? Somebody says, oh yeah, it's gospel truth. And it's kind of strange that our culture reflects back to us a sense of the truthfulness of something using that phrase, because actually we gave it to them in the first place. We can often also hear the word gospel in our churches. We can, we can hear somebody talking about preaching the gospel, as Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians 15. But what does the word mean? What does it mean to say the word gospel? Well, I'm going to to tell you, it's very straightforward. It means good news. It means a glad announcement. It means a great message. And we have a a world full of not such great news, particularly at the moment, don't we? And so to hear good news is a good thing. The gospel is the really good news that just as the Australian Navy were able to come and find and rescue the yachtsman who was stranded... The kingdom of God has drawn up alongside us all to make a massive spiritual rescue possible. That is the, king, that is the gospel, that the kingdom of God has drawn near to us. The kingdom of God is near to us right now in this room. He is near to us right now on the live stream. The kingdom of God is very, very close to us all. Now, The Bible does start with some bad news as well. It starts in not a great way. Uh, It talks about people becoming cut off from God, just like Tony Bullimore did in his his ocean adventure. Uh, and, And it talks about people getting separated from God. Way back in the book of Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden decides to go against God's wishes. And they do their own thing. And when you go against God's wishes and you do your own thing, you do end up on your own and you end up disconnected from God. Now, Christians describe disobedience from God or against God using a a pretty old-fashioned sounding word, which is the word sin. And sin is anything that cuts us off from God or goes against His will. Sin causes a disconnection which is very similar in effect to the storm that Tony Bullimore experienced. It cut him off from being connected uh, in that race. And the isolation and the damage that that separation from God, what it can do to to damage us and to uh, separate us off, is actually very profound. It's very scary. It's just like being stuck in an ocean with thousands of miles in every direction and no help. 
So that disconnection from God that Adam and Eve were experiencing in the Garden of Eden is a very serious problem. And the consequences of it are even more serious. The consequences of it are a physical and a spiritual death. A physical and a spiritual separation from God. Because when God made the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, he had no intention of them having to die. That was going to be an ongoing relationship with those people. And he was hoping to have an ongoing relationship with us for a long, long time. And through many, many generations. But their disobedience prevented that. Their sin and their wrongdoing cut that off. And so death, a physical separation and a spiritual separation, get introduced into the world at the story of the Garden of Eden. Now, God didn't want to leave it there, however. Uh, And uh, it's not inevitable to him that we would be cut off and lost forever, even though Adam and Eve had started a pattern which we ourselves, if we're really honest, we continue to struggle with that today, don't we? We only have to look at our thought life over the last 48 hours to know we're not super, super perfect. Yeah, I would just put that to you, that we all struggle uh, to do the right thing, even those of us who know Jesus really well. Now, the Bible is the story of God's many, many repeated attempts to reconnect with people, and despite our continual tendency to do the wrong thing. And so Good Friday and Easter Sunday are when and how he presents his rescue plan to humanity. God fixes what disconnects us from him on Good Friday. He does it by sending Jesus to the cross in our place to pay for our sins. And once our sins are paid for, that makes us right with God because the need for justice has been met. And once the need for justice has been satisfied, then that connection is fixed. God then proves that physical and spiritual death now no longer have any hold over us like they once did with Adam and Eve, and he proves that death has now been beaten. And he proves it by showing Jesus as raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. Basically, God says, that has now been solved. The the problem of the disconnection is now gone away. And now I'm going to put my resurrection power in you, Jesus, and I'm going to raise you up from the dead inside your grave. I don't know how that must have looked. I don't know what happened when Jesus was lying in the tomb behind the stone, but I kind of like to think that maybe there was some kind of, you know, laser light and power, and Jesus suddenly got up. And suddenly the stone rolled away through the resurrection power that poured out of God over Jesus. And Jesus got up and everything was all right. And a new age started. And it's an age in which we live now. God fixes what disconnects us uh, from him on Good Friday. And he proves it by raising Jesus from the dead on Easter Sunday. The empty tomb declares that Jesus has beaten death. Now, here are some big implications for this. Follow with me through this, if you will. If Jesus gets raised from the dead, then that means he's alive now. And that means it's possible to have a personal relationship with him because we can't really have a personal relationship with someone who's passed away, can we? We're basically remembering them. If they've passed away, we might go to their graveside and say they were a great person and all the rest of it. We can't really have an ongoing relationship with them. However, that doesn't apply to Jesus because he is raised and therefore he is alive. Therefore, we can have a relationship with him. You can only have a relationship with a living person. Now, here's another implication. If Jesus gets raised from the dead and we follow Jesus, what do you think is going to happen to us when we die? We are going to get raised from the dead too. 
In other words, if death is not the end for Jesus, it's not the end for us either. And you know what? That gives me a lot of hope and excitement for the future that no matter what I'm going to face, even if it includes death, and possibly death in not great circumstances, and I hope I don't have that, but if it does, that's not the end for me. It's not the end for you either. If we follow Jesus, we get to live forever just like Jesus lives forever. Jesus has gone first, then we follow after him through death and out the other side, a bit like a tunnel, into eternal, powerful, whole, resurrected and restored life. And that life continues forever. The gospel is incredible news that we are not isolated and cut off from God because of our sin and wrongdoing anymore because Jesus has sorted it on the cross. It's the incredible news that we get a personal relationship with someone who has been raised from the dead because he is alive and well uh, and and around. And it's the incredible news that he is raised on the third day with power from God, and we may assume that that power is something that we can have in our lives as well. That's the gospel right there. And I I just want to suggest that our response to that kind of news could could kind of be like how Tony Bullimore responded to the news of his rescue. When that knock came on the hull of his ship, uh, of his boat, sorry, from the the, the diver from the ship, uh, he was pretty chuffed to hear that. Wouldn't you have been pretty chuffed to hear that, that knocking on the hull, that someone was coming for you? And he swam swam straight out. He He went out from underneath his upturned boat and he grabbed that opportunity and he climbed on board that Australian Navy ship uh, to safety. God's colossal rescue plan for people is revealed in Jesus being raised on the third day on Easter Sunday. It's exactly the same principle. Now imagine for a moment, this is a crazy scenario, imagine the Australian Navy had arrived, they'd sent the diver, he'd knocked on the boat, and then Tony Bullimore had said, oh no, 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 not for me, thanks. No, I'm just going to stay here and die. Like, nobody in this room would do that, would they? That's just crazy. We wouldn't do that. Everybody would jump at the chance to be rescued and to be saved. So the what of the gospel is the good news that by choosing to follow Jesus, we get raised with him and we don't have to worry about death. We can have a relationship with him because he's alive and we get to join the kingdom of God. Come on, that's great. How is the gospel spread? How is the gospel spread? Okay, Paul uses some kind of key words in what he says. Let me just take you back through some of the things that he said. We've looked at the what, and I now want to look at the how. He says this, The gospel I preached to you, which you received. He then says, By which you are being saved, if you hold to the message. He then says, For I passed on to you as of first importance. What are we to make of receive, hold, and pass on. Well, what I'd like to do is to illustrate uh, this by describing something from the world of athletics now. Um, do we have any Jamaicans in the house? Okay, give us a wave. Give us a wave if you're from Jamaica. In fact, would you just stand up a minute? Just, I'm just going to embarrass you. Put it in the stock. Come on, if, you've got, if you're from Jamaica, if you've got family roots going back in Jamaica, let's give our Jamaicans a round of applause. Come on. Great. Sit yourselves down. Great stuff. If you are watching online and you and your family have uh, come from Jamaica or you've got Jamaican origins, put a Jamaican emoji on our live stream. That would be great. We'd really enjoy that. Now, I want to suggest a baseline principle here that Jamaicans are the fastest sprinters on the planet. 
are not everyone's looking at me with quite the joy that I was hoping that you would. Okay, now some other nations have done well in sprinting. I'm not saying you haven't, because you have. And in fact, in the Japan Olympics, I think it, any Italians in the house? Yeah, we've got some Italians in the house. Yeah, just a, one or two mute. Yeah, yeah. You guys won the 100 meters gold, didn't you? Uh, sorry, Deb, I saw you over there. 100 meters gold, Olympics last year in Japan was won by an Italian. Great stuff. So there are other nations that have had a look in, haven't they, around being fast on the, on the athletics track. But I want to suggest that taken in totality, Jamaicans are the greatest sprinters on the planet. They really are. When I was growing up, I used to think, I used to think that my favorite athletics event was the 100 meters men's final. And I mean, to be honest, what is more appealing than saying to the whole world, hey, come to a stadium and we'll see who's the fastest. I mean, that's just super appealing, isn't it? I mean, we'll just have a running race and we'll sort it out and we'll see who's the quickest. Super exciting, 100 meters, that's where it's at. Although I must say I was a little bit disappointed that my inspiration didn't turn into results on the track for myself at primary school. But that's another story, okay? 100 meters, Olympic final. I was chatting about this one day with my granddad when I was about 10 and telling him how great the 100 meters final was when he said, ah, wait until you see the 4 by 100 meters relay. All the drama of the 100 meters except four times as long and therefore four times as exciting. And you have to manage a baton handover really well too because if you don't do that, your speed doesn't matter. So I agreed with my granddad that we would watch the next Olympics and we would watch the next 4 by 100 meters relays. And this was back in the mid-80s. And he was right. It was awesomely exciting. It was super, super, super. So I would say 100 meters is great. 4 by 100 meters relay, even better. And you get more for your money, of course. It's four athletes belting round a track, passing one of these, passing a baton. They have to pass this one to the other. And if they get that, if they mess it up, that relay is in real trouble. They've got to hold on to it. They've got to receive it. They've got to pass it on, haven't they? Shall we have just a brief celebratory review of London 2012 when the Jamaican sprint relay team smashed the world record? It is Easter Sunday. Indulge me. Watch the screen. flash and uh, a very good run by the American Trell Kimmons he's gone very strongly indeed now then the Jamaicans have got it served the Americans and Gatlin's made a bit of headway down the back straight there and it's uh, USA from Jamaica at the moment very very strong indeed but here goes here goes the a Jamaican changeover was terrific and all of a sudden you've got Tyson Gay versus Johan Blake and Blake's winning this one and here comes Usain Bolt he has the baton and it's Bolt versus Ryan Bailey and Usain Bolt is moving away and Jamaica retain their title 36.85 and the world record has been taken apart oh I say what a way to finish an Olympic Games the world record has gone that is an astonishing time 36.85
What an awesome race that was. That was so, so exciting. And I know all eyes are on Usain Bolt, and rightly so, because he's just a machine, isn't he? But that guy who was third in the relay going round the corner, that's Johan Blake. And I'll tell you what, it's really hard running round a corner that fast. He's a great sprinter. I mean, they're just all great sprinters. Now, why have I brought an illustration on Easter Sunday from a sprint relay race? It's because Paul uses this language of receive, hold, hold, and pass on. He received something. In fact, he received it from Jesus direct because he was so thick-headed he wouldn't receive it from a person. Jesus had to knock him down on the road to Damascus and say, buddy, you need this, <laughs> didn't he? Let's be honest. The rest of us, were a bit more humble and we're prepared to receive it from a person. And then we hold on to it and then we pass it on to others. And we're going to do something great in just a little bit. We're going to be baptizing some people. And baptism, it's going to be great because baptism is saying, I've received this thing from Jesus, the gospel, the good news that the kingdom of God has come into my life, and I'm holding it. I'm holding on to that for my life because it's worth it, because Jesus is worth following with your life. That's what I'm doing. That's what our baptism candidates are going to be saying today. I'm holding on to Jesus for the rest of my days. And then what we're doing here in church on Sunday is we're saying, hey, how about you? How about you? Can we pass a baton on to you of the gospel? Are you, are you there sitting in your chair? Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you're a friend. Maybe you're just a kind of person who just kind of thought you'd come to church on Easter Sunday. And you don't kind of really get Jesus, but something about that race has got to you. Something about that story of being lost is kind of resonating in your spirit. And you're saying, yeah, Pastor Nick, do you know what? If you handed me that baton right now, I would honestly take it. Maybe that is you. Maybe that is you this morning. Something is received. Something is held. And something is passed on about this immensely important thing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, and was raised again on the third day. And that's the central truth of the Christian faith. And that sprint relay seems to me to match perfectly the urgency and the energy with which the gospel needs to get transmitted. Absolutely appropriate. We've all seen those sprint, disasters, uh, those sprint relay disasters, haven't we? where the baton hasn't been passed on or someone's dropped it or they've been stretching out behind and <laughs> where is it? And they haven't received it. And our heart and hope is that we don't do that today, that we would pass on something of, of substance to you that would be great for your life. Now, so many of the people in this room have received that baton, but I also know that there are going to be people here who haven't received that yet. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you an opportunity to receive the baton of the gospel of Jesus Christ into your life uh, in a little while. So we've looked at the what, we've looked at the how, and we've looked at, we're gonna, now going to look finally at the who, and I'm just going to ask uh, the worship team just if you'd come and join. No, we're not going to do that, are we? We're going to go straight into baptisms. Thank you, Kevin. My front row people save me every day. It's great. <laughs> we are going to go straight into baptism. We're going to worship at the end. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much. Here is how you can receive Jesus Christ into your life, because the who... Here's the, here's the question I'm going to answer. The who is anybody. Anybody can receive the good news of, the, of Jesus Christ into their life. We've looked at the what of the gospel, that it's good news. We looked at the how, the transmission of it, the baton transmission of the gospel. The who is anybody and everybody who would receive it. Anybody at all. There is no kind of entrance criteria into the kingdom of God other than 
I would like to receive Jesus, Jesus as Lord and Savior by faith into my life. I believe that he's the Son of God. I believe that he went to his death on a cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again on the third day. If you think those things in your heart, do you know what? You are a Christian now. And you've received the gospel. Because the who is universal. But it's our choice to receive it. Nobody forces it on you. Nobody makes you take this. It is your choice. It's your decision to come and receive the Lord Jesus. At the end of our service, uh, we're going to pray a little prayer where you can do that. Prayer is chatting to God. Prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation with Jesus because he is alive and risen. And he can hear by the Holy Spirit what you're telling him. Jesus is in this room right now. I prayed to Jesus at five o'clock this morning, and I know he heard me. Here's how you might have a conversation with Jesus that starts the process of that. This is the prayer, and I'm going to repeat this a bit later, and we're going to go into our baptisms. Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for my wrongdoing. This is the kind of thing you would be saying. Please forgive me for for, for being separated from you and from other people. I receive you into my life as Lord. Please lead me from now on. I surrender to you. I believe that you died on the cross to take away my sins, that you rose again on the third day, and that you are alive and with me now. I accept you into my life. Please help me to live for you. Thank you for your gift of eternal life for now and forever. Amen. Now, that that is a prayer we're going to pray a little bit later, and I wanted you to hear the wording of that prayer because I don't like it when churches manipulate people. We're offering you something that is absolutely exceptional in terms of its spiritual substance. There is nothing like it, the person of Jesus. But we also want to offer it to you openly and fairly. And that's why we've made that prayer, I'm just reading that prayer in advance. But we're going to go into a time of baptisms now.